Hello and welcome to Z Humra Show, a podcast dedicated to celebrating and sharing the beauty of Africa with you and with the rest of the world. My name is Humra Ruth and I host this podcast channel. I hope you're doing well. I hope life is going just as well as you'd like it to. But if for some reason it isn't working out, I always say, take it to the Lord Jehovah in prayer and trust me, he has your best interests at at heart and there's nothing impossible with our God. Welcome to this podcast channel. As I say before, it is dedicated to sharing the beauty of Africa with you and with the rest of the world. If you're new here, please subscribe, leave a review. It greatly helps the channel. And if you've been here from day one or joined us along the way, I really, really appreciate you. Now, over the past few months, I have I began a series where I took you to different countries in Africa. So I did podcast episodes on like Egypt, Tunisia, Morocco, Nigeria, Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, Seychelles, Namibia, South Africa. You know, we went to a lot of places on this podcast. And thereafter, I began a series where I share with you about different groups of people in Africa. They could be ethnic groups and they could be tribes. There's a big difference between the two. So I've done a few episodes um, in different groups of people in Africa. I've done one on the Maasai, the Himba, the Karamajong, the Batwa, and so many more. So today is no exception. I am going to be taking you, not taking you, but sharing with you about a particular group of people that has always piqued my interest. Well, I think I couldn't tell them apart from another group of people. But I've always been intrigued by their lifestyle and their culture and how proud they are to be themselves. So, <laughs> I don't think you could guess, but today's episode is about the Yoruba of Nigeria. Now, I grew up in Uganda. I live in Uganda. I am Ugandan. And uh, we do a lot of Nigerian movies here. We used to watch a lot of Nigerian movies. And today, not as much, but once in a while, you do watch a good one here and there. Like, I would give you a recommendation. You should try Blood Sisters on Netflix. That is very Nigerian. It's, like, very modern and nice and interesting. So, in a lot of those movies, they talk about the Yoruba and, you know, the Yoruba, the Yoruba, the Yoruba. And even in African literature, because we did a lot of African literature from West Africa, you'd hear about the Yoruba and you're like, oh, my God, who are these people? So... It picked, they picked my interest and I decided to do a podcast episode on them. So I'm going to share with you a few things about their lifestyle, their culture, a little bit about their history, the places they're most dominant in. Is that the right way to say it? But just a little bit about the Yoruba and hopefully by the end of the episode you do have a little bit about a little bit of knowledge about them. I hope you enjoyed. All right, let's take a short break and when we return we'll dive into them a little bit more. Before we get back into the show, if you love my take on Uganda and you love Formula One, why not check out my Formula One podcast called ZF1 Amateur. ZF1 Amateur is a post-Formula One race commentary podcast hosted by me, Humura Ruth, that's available on your favorite podcasting player or platform. So just go to your favorite podcast player or just search on your favorite search engine, ZF1 Amateur Podcast, and you'll be sure to get Formula One closer to you. And if you like Formula E, as I do... You should also check out my Formula E podcast called Z Formula E podcast. That's all about Formula E racing as well as sustainable mobility. Thank you so much. Now let's get back to the show. (music) 
Welcome back from that short break. Now let's get to know the Yoruba a little bit more. So they are a group of people that make up more than 47 million people in Africa. And there's also hundreds of thousands of Yorubas outside the African continent and others in different parts of Africa. So there are really, really many. In fact, they are one of the largest African ethnic groups that you'll find south of the Sahara Desert. But it's not fair to look at them as a single group, but instead think of them as a diverse people that share a common language. They also share common history and culture. When it comes to language, most of the Yoruba people speak the Yoruba language, which in fact is the Niger-Congo language that has the most native speakers in Africa. So think of the Yoruba as an ethnic group. So they are an ethnic group from West Africa that are mainly found in parts of Nigeria, Benin and Togo. And these different parts that they are found in, they're usually referred to as Yoruba land. So I think even in the movies and the series, you hear them talking about Yoruba land. But when it comes to the majority of the population, you'll find that in Nigeria because they make up 21% of the Nigerian population. So that is pretty big. The other Yorubas that you'll find, I say that because I've read that a lot in different articles. But if it's not the right way to term Yoruba people, please correct me and bear with me. But the other people, the other Yoruba people that you find outside Africa are usually categorized into two groups. There's the group that moved to the New World during the 16th and 19th century. So you find those in the Americas, in Cuba, Brazil. And then there's a group of Yoruba people that moved to the United Kingdom and to the United States during the 1960s and the 1980s. And those ones moved because of the economic and political changes that were happening in Africa around that time. So the numbers of the Yoruba that moved to the Americas are not really known. But the good news is that the descendants living there really tried, have really tried and preserved Yoruba traditions and uh, their customs. In fact, in several parts of the Caribbean and South America, you find the, the Yoruba religion sorry, is being combined with Christianity. Now, speaking of their traditions, the Yoruba mythology, I understand from my research, believes that all Yoruba people descended from a hero called Odua, or as others may call, Odudua. So, in fact, there are about 50 people who claim kingship as descendants of Odua, where they believed, where they believed to have come from. So, that's just a little bit about the Yoruba. Now, let's get to know them more in depth, their history and their culture. Now, when it comes to the Yoruba history, it is believed that they originated from... Now, bear with me. My pronunciations may be so off... But uh, I will try. I'm East African and this is very West African. But the Yorubas originated from Le Ife. And uh, they became very popular because they were trading uh, with the Portuguese. And through their trade with the Portuguese, they managed to get themselves a large supply of guns. However, they were not in good terms with the Fulani, who were also from West Africa. And they were constantly being invaded by the Fulani. Now, the Fulani pushed most of the, many of the Yoruba people to the south. Then in the late 1800s, the Yoruba people eventually formed a treaty with the Fulani. However, a few years later, in 1901, they were colonized by the British. So that was quite unfortunate. In fact, I believe in 1893, 
I, um, the Yoruba kingdoms in Nigeria became a part of the protectorate of Britain. So there was that then. And uh, the enmity between the Fulani and the Yoruba still held on. Now, when it comes to their language, I say before, it belongs to the Congo Kodofanian language family. So, and I think, um, okay, what they say is that Yoruba has many dialects, but all of the people who speak Yoruba can understand each other. And I think that comes from the fact that I said earlier, it's an ethnic group. So you find different people speaking differently, but almost able to understand each other. I'm trying to relate it with what is, um, with what I've experienced growing up in West, in East Africa. But I don't know if it makes sense. But usually people from the same ethnic group can almost understand their languages because they're similar sounds, similar words and it becomes a tonal language in a way. And I believe Yoruba is known to be a tonal language. So you'll have the same combination of vowels and consonants, but all of that having different meanings, depending on how you pronounce certain words, depending on the pitch of your vowels, or whether you're using a high voice or a low voice. But Yoruba speakers can understand each other, regardless of their dialect. Now, they gave me an example. They told me the word arrow can mean symbol, it can mean indigo, it can mean lamentation it can also mean granary it all depends on how you internet your sounds so i took the liberty to learn a few words um for example in yoruba to say hello you say peleo and to say how are you you say baoni and to say fine thank you you'd say dadani so i hope i got it right but that's just a little bit about their history when it comes to how they settle and where they're settled at the moment Traditionally, they would organize themselves into villages that are close to each other, villages, towns, and then kingdoms. And in the case of kingdoms, those kingdoms were led by Anoba, who is the king, or Bale, who is a noble or mayor. But the major Yoruba cities and towns that you've probably seen in African novels or movies, there's Ilife, there's Ibadan, there's Lagos, there's Ejebode, there's Abeikuta, there's Akure, there's Ilorin, there's Ijebu Ibo, there's Obomosho, there's Undo, there's Badaguri, there's Ado, Ekiti, Osegbo, Elese, Oyo, Owo, Kaba, Ofa, Elesa, Elebu, and so many others that I cannot pronounce. And uh, like I said before, you'll find the Yoruba not only in Nigeria, but you find them in Benin, you find them in Togo. So there are different Yoruba cities there, different Yoruba lands there as well. But for example, in Benin, you find them in towns such as Ketu, Saba, Dasa, and so forth. So these towns and cities, they do have a historical affili affiliation with the Yoruba people because they probably share the same language, culture, and history themselves. There are also other cities like Wari, Auchi, and Okene. So that's just a little bit about the history of the Yoruba. Welcome back from that short break. Now let's get to know a little bit more about the Yoruba culture. Now, it's important to remember that not everything is practiced by every person who is Yoruba. So some of these um, things that I'm going to talk about um, may be practiced by some Yoruba people. Maybe they're not practiced by Yoruba people. So it's not fair to think that everybody's going around doing this, but some of them are. So let's dive into it. So first things first, every Yoruba person is born into a clan. 
and the members of that clan all descend from a common ancestor. These clans are usually patrilineal, so both the daughter and the son are born into the clan of their father. So your descent is patrilineal among the Yoruba. Now, clan members traditionally live in a large residential area that is referred to as a compound. When it comes to the males in the among the Yoruba, they are born, they are married, and they are buried in that compound. For the females, they live in that compound of their birth until they marry. Then they move to another compound. Essentially, they go and live with their husbands. Now, back to the compound. The eldest person in that compound is a male, who's also known as Abale. I don't know if I pronounce it right, but essentially the eldest male is the head of the compound. When it comes to the individual families, a husband is responsible for settling disputes within his family. But if for one reason or another he's unsuccessful, or maybe if the argument is just way bigger than he is, or it involves people from different families, then he would refer to the eldest male in the compound. So do you see how significant the compound is? In fact, within that particular compound, one's immediate family would be the man of the home, the wives, and then the children. So that is what the compound looks like. And Yoruba men practice polygamy. That means they have more than one wife. So, But each wife and her children are usually looked at as a sub-family. They have a separate room within the husband's house and they share possessions. And then when it comes to meals, each mother cooks food for her own children only. When it comes to the husband's side of things, he's expected to treat each wife equally. But the wives will naturally, you know, compete to gain additional favors from their husbands to benefit their children. When it comes to fathering, fathers are usually seen as strict and quite distant. I think it would be termed like an African father, an African man, as some may think. So he often sees very little of his children and... Um, and the children are young anyway. They play with their co-wives. No, they play, sorry, with the children of the co-wives. That's how they play together. But as the children also get older, they realize that there's differences between them and they start to grow apart. That's only natural amongst them. Now, of course, when children get older, they get married. And usually the marriages are arranged. But... The father, I mean the man who's going to marry must first negotiate with the girl's father before he actually marries. If he's approved into the family, he must bring the family of the girl a payment which is popularly known as bride wealth. And that is paid in three installments, which is quite interestingly. Then when it comes to wedding ceremonies, they are usually started at the bride's house after dark. And then on the side of the groom, there's just a feast that uh, is held and to which the groom contributes yams. Thereafter, the bride is then taken to the groom's house and then she's washed from foot to knee with a mixture, a mixture of herbs that is meant to bring her many children because children are seen as a blessing. And I'm not sure they're seen as wealth, but they're seen as a blessing. So for the first eight days after marriage, she has to divide her time. This girl has to divide her time between her husband's home and her parents' home. 
And then on the ninth day, she eventually moves to her husband's home and becomes fully a part of it. So that's where she now takes care of her children. She now coexists with her co-wives and, you know, raises her children from there. Now, speaking of children, when she gets pregnant, hopefully she gets pregnant and gives birth. Usually the newborn baby, you know, at birth, let's start with birth. At birth, it is believed that no one younger than the mother of the child should be present at the birth of the child. Then when the baby is born, they are taken to the backyard. They're sprinkled with water to make them cry. And no word is spoken until the baby cries. And then the umbilical cord is, you know, cut. The placenta is buried in the backyard. And on the place, the exact spot where the placenta is buried, the child is bathed with a sponge and rubbed with palm oil. It's very important to do this. Then later on, maybe a, a cloth is uh, worn over the shoulder, just something to keep them warm. Now, also, I forgot to mention that the child is held by the feet and given three shakes to make the child strong and brave. Then later on, after a specified number of days, a naming ceremony is held where relatives come together, bring small amounts of money or maybe gifts, and the naming ceremony proceeds. So that's essentially what the life is like. So then you grow up, you have your children and they move to different compounds and it happens and it happens and it happens. But in case um, you lose a loved one, the barriers are performed by the adult men who are usually not close relatives, but actually belong to the clan of the deceased men of the deceased. Sorry. So women are not too into that. And then this is very interesting. The grave is dug, according to research, the grave is dug in the floor of the room where the deceased person lived. So that is quite interesting. And then after the barrier, there's a period of feasting, which that is something that I found very interesting about West Africans that I, I made me appreciate learning culture more because in um, the Ugandan side of things, usually barriers are sad and what. But I think in West Africa, it can be very celebratory. Is that the word? It can be a celebration. So that's just like a cultural shock. If I attended a barrier in West Africa, I'd be like, what? Not the entire West Africa, to be fair. It's just different parts where it's a celebration. And then you even have billboards. And what? I would be shocked because we do it very differently this side. And I'm pretty sure if they came this side, they'd also be so shocked at how sad someone can be at a funeral. Now... So many of the rituals that are associated with the barrio are performed to ensure that the deceased person will be reborn again. Another thing that's important among the Yorubas is best friendship. So a best friend is actually referred to as a friend not see, not sleep. So that's how they say it. Pretty sure if you put a Nigerian accent in there, it would be super cool. But essentially what that means is that one doesn't go to sleep without having seen their best friend. That is how important they are. In fact, when you're approaching death, when a person is approaching death, they're usually called to share their last wishes with their best friend, at least among the Yoruba culture. Something I also forgot to mention, among the children, um, they're usually clubs. Now, these ones are very important as children grow up out of, adult, out of childhood. They're usually part of a club. And that is started when, you know, 
kids spend time together. So it's usually friends that have been spending so much time together. They come together, then they form a club. They choose a name for the club, invite an older man and woman to serve as advisors for the club. And then the club continues through adulthood. So they will usually hold monthly meetings with the members serving as hosts of the club in turns. I found that inspiration, I think that's a pretty good one to do. You know, it would help a lot of people as they get older. Now, I also talked about uh, the traditional compounds, which are like known as house clans in among the Yoruba people. So traditionally, they're made up of, they're usually rectangular courtyards with a single entrance. And then around each courtyard, you'll find uh, either an open porch or a partly enclosed porch where women usually sit, weave and cook. So, and then behind that is rooms of each adult where they stay. But today, because of change, the times of change and all that, sometimes these old compounds would actually be modern bungalows, you know, different houses and all that. So you may not necessarily find what you'd envision there. So I think that's pretty much it about the Yoruba culture. When it comes to um, dressing style, they do a lot of Western style dresses in the urban areas. But their traditions are really, really kept in well because during important occasions and in rural areas, the very colorful and elaborate tradition of fabrics that are associated with the Yoruba are usually on show. So a lot of people do wear their clothes. So the women wear the head ties, uh, you know, they carry their babies on their backs in some rectangular cloth. It's just beautiful. I know you've seen Yoruba clothing before. I know you've seen it on Instagram. So it is still in fashion as it was hundreds of years ago. When it comes to food, the Yoruba have a variety of food that I can't dive into it. Uh, to finish it all because anyway i'm not an expert on it but essentially their diet consists of um, grains plantains and starchy tubers so they also supplement it with vegetable oils cultivated fruits uh, and as well as meat and fish so the daily family usually an everyday family will rely on cassava maize plantain beans taro and every other not every other thing but so many other things I think one of the most popular food that you probably have heard of is fufu or fofu. In fact, we had a, we have West African restaurants here where you can actually get fufu or fofu. But uh, you would come, okay, some people would say, oh my God, you're lying. But it's similar to a dumpling according to some people, but it's made, uh, made from cassava white yams and it's done very differently but very del it's very delicious and delightful to taste so in fact yams are eaten special occasion occasioned and then rice is very popular and i think what i really do appreciate about the yoruba is that they keep their culture and traditions like i said earlier you'll find them cooking their own food still in the americas cooking their food in the uk and really not losing their culture i think that's a very beautiful thing a lot of times people do forget their culture when they, I don't know, immigrate, move to different places, but they really stick with their food. At least when it comes to food, you'll see it. Food and fashion, you'll know. You'll know for sure. So there's different Yoruba recipes, different Yoruba food that you can try. I'll give you a few. You can try chicken and okra soup. You can't go wrong with that. You can try, now this one's a mouthful for me, 
ewa agoyin now ewa means beans and then agoyin is a dish that belongs to the inventors of the ewa agoyin so you can try that you can try irise eyin and uh, irise is i believe rice from the yoruba language and then eyin is palm nut fruit you can also try asun it's written like asan asun it's a finger food it's um fried goat meat with a lot of paper so this one is really good if you like that kind of paper but uh, that's pretty much um a summary of what i can share with you in regards to the people to the yoruba people the people of yoruba land i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did please if I, please if i mispronounced a name uh, um, a ritual or tradition or custom please bear with me i am learning along the way but I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you're you're Yoruba, <laughs> you can uh, send us a message and just say hi. Maybe I can say hi to you. Baoni Dadani. Yes, thank you so much for listening in. If you'd love to get in touch, please do not hesitate. My email address is mbabazibruth77 at gmail.com. That is spelled as M-B-A-B-A-Z-I ruth77 at gmail.com you can find me on instagram as well my page for this podcast is at z humura show that is spelled as z double e h u m u r a show and on twitter my handle is at humura ruth thank you so much i enjoyed it don't forget to subscribe and uh, the podcast is available on a lot of platforms i think um you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Castbooks, um, Pocket Casts, Radio Republic, Helium Network. There are about 12 um, distributors and recently you can find it on Afro Mobile. And uh, that is for, I think, um, it's... Okay, I'm going to work on my distribution, but we have the podcast is available on 12 different platforms. So you'll be able to find it there. And if you'd love to get in touch, sometimes we have an issue with that. It's easier to reach me via email. I'm more responsive there, as well as my social media platforms. But you can find it even on Google Podcasts. I had forgotten that. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, um, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Republic, Spotify, Afromobile, the Helium Radio Network, and uh, we're still expanding because um, it's available on a number of platforms. Thank you so much for the support. I really, 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 really appreciate it. And I'll see you in the next episode. Have a wonderful week.